Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy February, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our February heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones will be live tomorrow at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. February's theme is Family Love, Self-Love, and Partner's Love. It is a reverberation of Valentine's Day celebration. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show this morning, my guest for today is Laurie Richens. Laurie is the founder of whole family mentoring, author, personal and family empowerment coach, energy healing facilitator, body language advisor, and certified emotion coach and NLP practitioner. She has taught family fortifying strategies over the radio on podcasts and stages and with personal clients. As a survivor of childhood trauma, her maternal method of mentoring offers poignant insights which help heal the pain of the past so families can flourish in the future. Laurie is also passionate about preserving our individual freedoms and was previously a candidate for Idaho State Representative. However, she considered being a mother of seven, grandmother of 12, and her marriage of 38 years to be her greatest joy and accomplishment. Her latest book, Fortified, 10 Effective Strategies to Fortify Our Families, has been featured in several online magazines promoting the importance of strong families in society. Laurie is also one of our featured expert contributors to our February Inspirations for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story, My Journey to Discovering the Power of Love, in the Nana's section. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Laurie and I will be talking about her remarkable life's journey and how we can formulate and enhance the wellness of our family values, spirituality, and togetherness from her book, Fortified, 10 Effective Strategy to Fortify Our Families. Happy Wednesday, Laurie, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Oh, Johnny, it's such a privilege to be here. I have to tell you, it's such a beautiful thing to have a man focusing on the contributions of mothers in society. So having that male voice um, is really uh, a wonderful thing. So thank you for the messages that you portray and the mission that you're on. Well, thank you very much. It's really funny if someone were to say, oh, you're a mama's boy. Are you kidding me? (laughs) And then nine months? Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, I I love hearing your story. And We need more men in the world uh, like you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Fortify 10 Effective Strategies to Fortify Our Families is an excellent read. Your candid approach to the issues, challenges, and solutions offered are timelessly inspiring and empowering. Congratulations on its release. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, my book, I took kind of a what I call a backdoor approach to front door problems. And I'm a storyteller and being a writer, um, you know, my whole life I've been following examples of people who've um, lived good lives and, and lessons that they've taught. And so a lot of times people have problems in their life where uh, certain mentors will kind of hit it head on. But I like a more maternal, gentler approach where I tell stories that have important principles that people can relate to and maybe come up with some solutions on their own. So it's kind of a gentle read. It's something that can be inspiring without causing people to feel um, bad about their own circumstances, but more hopeful about what can be. So true, so true. Well, let's get started by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walk through your life. 
from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour. <laughs> oh, I love that. This is so great. And uh, I really have the intention of this being a positive conversation, but um, it's important that the listeners understand maybe where I came from so that they can know why uh, I've become so passionate about helping families. Um, My mom was married very, very young. She was a young teenager, and I was her fourth child by the time she was 22 years old. So she was basically a child raising children of her own in some respects. That relationship didn't um, work out very well, and and uh, eventually, within I think seven years or so, um, she uh, and her husband were um, in the process of getting a divorce, and and um, there came a point where she tried to get um, my um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So she ended up becoming pregnant with me um, outside of that relationship, and um, that certainly didn't um, make things uh, favorable. But um, she tried to give me to um, my stepfather to raise when she was needing to leave. And that eventually, of course, had an impact on me where I felt um, displaced. I felt not wanted. I kind of lost my place in the family dynamic. And um, so she took me for a period of time. Um, The divorce was finalized. And then she ended up uh, having uh, other relationships and and then ultimately ended up marrying her sister's ex-husband. And um, for some people, that actually can work out really well. It had challenges of its own as well. So my uncle became my stepfather. My cousins became my step-siblings. And, and then that um, relationship ended after about seven years, and another um, stepfather came into the picture. And ultimately, there ended up uh, being 15 of us siblings. And I don't have any whole brothers and sisters, just um, half and, and step um, siblings. And then I um, went on a search for over 20 years to try and find my actual birth father. He didn't know I existed, and I didn't have his name. And I um, finally found him when I was 50 years old, so that was six years ago, and found out I had four more siblings. So in total, I have 19. So. Um, there's a lot of trauma and some things that happened during those years that ended up impacting me in a very um, powerful way. And I had a lot of recovery that I had to um, go through. It affected my marriage. Um, it was, you know, a lot of men in this world end up having to try and repair the damage of other men who've affected their wives before you know, before their wives even came into their world. And, um, you know, it was a helpless experience sometimes for my husband to help me through those years. But I was very high-functioning, and I ended up having seven children of my own and did all that I could to protect them from the trauma that I was trying to recover from. And so I eventually made the decision that uh, there were other people out there like me who maybe needed some resources, some validation to be honored in the journey that they've experienced in life. And I made a choice to um, write a book and to become a professional mentor so that I could assist them in recovering from their own trauma. Fascinating story. I really appreciate you sharing the details of it. I think it's extremely empowering. And to each is his own. Like you realize now, I mean, back then we certainly don't realize that. I certainly was adopted at birth, may not necessarily be in the same track as you are, but it certainly impacted me in so many ways being adopted. When I found out about it sort of by accident, it really shook me because, like, immediately the impact was what happened here. Someone doesn't want me. And so obviously Mm -hmm. that changed over a period of time where I realized that the family that adopted me, my adopted mom and dad, loved me, and that's why they adopted me. And Mm -hmm. growing up, really, in my particular case, I don't see any difference in terms of love being withheld from me and my sister who also adopted from a different family from any of my other friends who had maternal parents. So that's really fascinating, and I really appreciate you sharing those wonderful stories in its own merits, so to speak. What were the most adventurous moments that you can recall about your childhood? 
You know, my daughter, my youngest daughter is 20, and she's at college, and she had a recent knee surgery and had to come home for a bit while I cared for her um, while she was um, healing from uh, this operation. And uh, we started watching Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea, and I don't know if you're familiar with those movies, but I always laugh when I watch that show because the main character, Anne, is very similar to me. I was very talkative. I was very inquisitive. when I was young and, um, you know, had an imagination and, uh, you know, and I grew up in Minnesota and we went to Valley Fair, which was a theme park and we traveled um, to lots of different states in the Grand Canyon and Mexico and, and California. And I remember, um, you know, those are very special memories, but there were also times when I was young, you know, in between some of the time period where we had a more stable life, um, I completely stopped communicating. I was very much a talker when I was a little girl, and uh, there was enough trauma that took place where I just stopped talking altogether. And mm-hmm. and it's it's become one of those um, kind of passions that I have to help people find their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, there sometimes sometimes we stop talking because we're afraid of the ramifications. But sometimes we stop talking because we don't think it's going to really do any good to communicate. Mm. And so, yeah, I try and help people find their voice and support them to say what needs to be said about their lives. Fantastic. That's really wonderful. When did curiosity become the driving force in your quest for knowledge? For as long as I can remember, I was very impressionable. Words were very important to me. Um, I remember my grandmother having this big, thick book in a cabinet beside her kitchen table, and it was uh, by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And even though I was young, I loved deep uh, language. And uh, later, when I was in high school and uh, in college, especially when I was in high school, I would uh, have a dictionary by my bed, And whenever there were essays that I would have to write, I would uh, have my dictionary there to find new words for familiar terms. I didn't want to use the same words more than once, and I wanted Mm -hmm. to increase my vocabulary. And and, uh, I think that's been one of my greatest uh, joys is learning to use language properly and to use it to um, benefit other people's lives, to find pearls and then express principles that give people peace. So true, so true, because words have power. Using the right words really just impact people in a very different way. What was your impression of family when you were growing up? Uh, You know, that's such a great question because uh, your a person's interpretation of family comes automatically from what their own personal experiences are. So uh, there's some good memories, of course, that I have. We played card games. We, you know, I remember listening to old eight-track tapes and uh, food for the holidays. But we weren't the type that would sit at the table for our meals. We'd go into the, you know, the kitchen or, or excuse me, into the living room. Or they weren't necessarily regular meals throughout the day. And um, my eyes were open to this beautiful experience. Uh, You talk about your nine mamas, and there was one um, woman that was a great influence on me when I was in my 20s. Her name was Janet, and I remember going to her house. She had 12 or 13 children, and uh, she was a private school educator, and uh, her husband was somebody who influenced me very favorably. He was a preventive medicine doctor, and... um, I ended up going to Jack and Janet's home and waiting in the living room for them to finish their meal. And I looked uh, into the kitchen while I sat waiting quietly. And I heard all of this beautiful conversation around the table. And and I saw this uh, wonderful bonding experience where, you know, this huge table was filled with children and parents interacting with them. And I ended up having this kind of, you know, a tear that mm-hmm. teary eyes that came to me because I thought, wow, that you know, that's how it should be. Uh, I, it was it was new for me to see that beautiful example, and mm-hmm. it made me it made me want to emulate some of these uh, really favorable visual images that I was seeing, and and um, it really was a blessing. I became a pattern seeker 
to do better mm-hmm. than what I had been given. Very, very interesting. So how did that evolve into your definition of family now? Yeah, once my eyes were opened, I talk about this in my book that, you know, once you recognize that you didn't have maybe the most favorable upbringing, mine was pretty obvious uh, that um, it wasn't an ideal situation. Shortly after I got married, uh, within a couple of years, I was screaming in my sleep at night. Um, I was losing weight. I was experiencing some depression, and I really did not understand at all the degree of trauma that I had been exposed to. And I ended up going to a counselor who taught me something really uh, important for me to understand. And hopefully the listeners can find some benefit from this. And basically what he said is people can experience PTSD primarily after they get out of the traumatic situation. For instance, soldiers who are in battle have Um, incredible survival mechanisms that kick in that allow them to survive the most atrocious events. And and yet many of them, once they get home from battle, home from war, give them a period of time and they take their own life. They just, um, they can't uh, survive the demons that come after the war. And that was primarily what was happening to me. I was in a safe place. I had a kind, considerate husband. I started to have children, which were triggering memories of my own trauma. And suddenly I was faced with, you know, this unknown um, battle within me. And so I had to um, make some decisions on how I was going to, what type of mother I was going to be, what kind of wife I was going to be, to try and be this better version of what I had, but also deal with the pain of my past. And there was just this powerful intention that I was going to intercept that dysfunction and make sure that my children didn't have to experience what I went through. Very, very interesting. That's really so true, though. So how did you create an environment that draws the very best out of people around you? I made a decision as well that I was going to be safe for individuals that I was going to be um, a very maternal type of um, uh, influence in people's lives. That's very important to me, I guess, because my own mom had some emotional and and physical challenges for as long as I can remember. And I wanted to be um, a force of stability and steadiness and safety. I wanted to validate others. Um, but I'm very particular. I don't pity people and their circumstances. When I work with clients, and I've heard some really terrible stories, but when I work with clients, I tell them that pity is not going to serve them well. I've come to understand that, um, you know, God doesn't punish us by allowing these bad things to happen. He allows them because he trusts us to be able to find value in them. He trusts us understand that he can help us navigate through these trials and it's actually a compliment to us that we are given experiences that we can prevail from and then um, offer something really good in the world that can bless the lives of others. Mm -hmm. So true, so true. What is the inspiration behind Fortify 10 Effective Strategies to Fortify Our Family? I had been wanting to write several other books for a long time and uh, it was an interesting journey because when you go through trauma and uh, you have to deal with the truth of your life and um, I didn't start to remember the extent of the trauma that I had until I was 40 years old so I was weaving in and out of these um, you know flash memories body memories um, triggers that I would have to process. And uh, so there came a time when my passion for writing was completely gone. I was just trying to survive everyday living and trying to create a good life for my children. And I felt really sad that I had lost my passion to write. I, I really didn't care anymore about that. And I talked to my husband about this and I said, I feel sad that You know, I'm not excited about contributing anything to the world anymore. And my husband said something really profound. He's not really much of a talker. He's a he's an accountant. He's a CPA. (laughs) So he's 
very analytical. Yeah. He, he said something really profound. He said, well, if God gave the passion to you in the first place, he will give it back to you. Mm-hmm. And he was right. It just took some time. And eventually on a Sunday, I woke up and had this distinct impression that I needed to write another book. And it, it wasn't the books I had originally planned. And it was about family and it was about fortifying them. And um, my original intent was to help people to fortify their families while they were building businesses because I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs struggle in their family dynamic. And, and I thought that might be an audience that could really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then I changed that to be more of a, a mass audience, something more general. Very, very interesting. So why such a strong word, fortified? I really appreciate um, the fact that you inquired about that because what I've found when you come from dysfunction, there's a level of fracture that happens within a person's soul. You just, at least for me, I didn't feel like a whole human being. And when you don't feel like a whole person, you can't really contribute yourself in a complete manner to your family. And many families don't survive who've come from trauma. Well, many families don't survive who've had good childhoods. And so um, the word fortified, like I said, was was literally a divine um, title given to me, but also um, it was one of those messages I wanted to make very clear that families are worth the effort of fortifying because families are the fabric of society. And most of the ills that are facing society are um, founded in dysfunctional families. So if I can fortify families, if I can keep marriages together, if I can um, give them the tools and the support and the validation that they need, uh, then those next children coming up won't have the the scars that I had to deal with in my own life. Very true. So true. Over the period of time, my mom have all taught me that personal success begins at home because that yeah. is the first classroom that everyone is in. And home is where you learn about love. Now, having said that, mm-hmm. you and I know very well that there are always exceptions to the rule, having said that. But the foundation starts from home. And home is where you have the camaraderie of people. A house is where people live. Exactly. And uh, it's been interesting. My mom passed away about a year ago. And uh, I knew that time was going to come. I hadn't had a relationship with my mom for um, a long period of time. She, um, when I started researching and wanting more answers about my past, because so much of my, the truth of my life had been completely blocked mm-hmm. in my mind, I think it's a, a mechanism that God gives children to be able to survive really difficult um, you know, life experiences, but mm-hmm. eventually your mind suddenly puts it on the forefront and you have to deal with it. And so I wanted to find my birth father and, um, you know, the history associated that was with that was uh, difficult for my mom. It was hard for her to go there. So I didn't get answers from her that I needed. And, and um, so I started asking other questions of other people, which was very difficult to do because family secrets can be buried deep for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I found out that I was the center of a family secret. And so um, it was, my mom felt on some level like I had betrayed her mm-hmm. for, for digging into the past. And there are a lot of people who feel that way. They don't want you to look into the past. They don't want you to know certain things that they feel were, were their own life experiences that you shouldn't touch. But anything that touches us as parents inevitably affects the children. So, um, right. I, yeah, so that, it, it was the catalyst for us basically losing a relationship. And I made a decision, once again, there are so many choices we make in life. I made a decision that I was going to be open with my children about my life and that I was going to be available to answer questions for them. Um, I knew that I wasn't a perfect parent, but that I had offered my best. And um, I wanted to make sure that 
they understood that, um, you know, all it takes is one generation to intercept the dysfunction of the past to create a healthy family dynamic. And um, so not having a mom in my life uh, made me want to be very maternal and to say the things that people would need to hear that I didn't hear for myself. Mm -hmm. I know that's kind of a long answer to your question. No, not at all. I totally agree with everything you said. And many times when I deal with clients, one of the most important things I tell people, and this is interesting because, remember, we talk about words have power, whether in a business setting or especially family and so forth. These individuals love us the best way they know how mm. because there are moments where snapshots, I guess, in this case. If you look at it in the old days, there really no video and stuff like that, right, that you can take from your iPhone and so forth. It's snapshots, snippets of moment, pictures that are kept in memory, so to speak. And when you look at those and you realize that they are doing the best they can and they love you the best way they know how and their knowledge came from how they were brought up or how they were taught and everything else. I'm not saying that you accept everything is more of the formulation of understanding. It sort of becomes the foundation of healing from within. Exactly. And when at least I recognize that my mom herself uh, had some life experiences which mm-hmm. caused some, some um, which explained, I guess, some of the decisions that she made and mm-hmm. some of the dysfunction that was perpetuated onto my world into my world, I, you know, there's a level of mercy that can come with that. But mm-hmm. I'm also adamant in saying that it's important that we um, develop compassion and mercy and um, recognize that we don't have the complete story, we don't have the complete That's picture. Right. However, uh, that doesn't trump the fact that if you're not safe with your parents, if they aren't safe contributors to your world, if they put your children at risk, if they put you emotionally at risk or physically at risk, then you have every right, you have actually a responsibility to move on in your world and protect that next generation. And in some respects, that was the place that I had to go to where I recognized that some people that I wished were healthy, that had been in my life, that I wished um, could uh, help, uh, you know, me during the season when I was raising my own children, that they were not Mm -hmm. safe. And um, there's a grief that comes with that when the people who are supposed to be protecting you and um, assisting you through life are actually the ones who harm you. That's Mm -hmm. a whole different level of grief. And you have to find those surrogates influences then and you talk about your nine mamas and I had you know a teacher in high school and I had some of my um, my friend Lisa I talk about in the book she was a Mm -hmm. Lutheran minister's daughter and I would go to her house for lunch for high school and her parents were very calm peaceful parents and her home was very peaceful and I had to learn what was possible and of course Janet and Jack later and you find these surrogates who are such a blessing in your world to help you show you a better way so true so very true you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio I'm Johnny Tan your host our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitches Radio Blueberry Podcasting TuneIn Radio Mixcloud Podchaser Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. February's theme is family love, self-love, partner's love. It is a reverberation of Valentine's Day celebration. My guest for today is Laurie Richards. Laurie is the founder of Whole Family Mentoring, author, personal and family empowerment coach, energy healing facilitator, body language advisor, and certified emotion code and NLP practitioner. She has taught family fortifying strategies over the radio, on podcasts and stages, and with personal clients. As a survivor of childhood trauma, her maternal method of mentoring 
offers poignant insights which helps heal the pain of the past so families can flourish in the future. Laurie is also passionate about preserving our individual freedoms and was previously a candidate for Idaho State Representative. However, she considers being a mother of seven, grandmother of 12, and her marriage of 38 years to be her greatest joy and accomplishment. Her latest book, Fortified, 10 Effective Strategies to Fortify Our Families, have been featured in several online magazines promoting the importance of strong families in society. Laurie is also one of our featured expert contributors to our February Inspirations for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story, My Journey in Discovering the Power of Love, in the Nana section. Our kitchen table conversation this morning is about her remarkable life's journey and how we can formulate and enhance the wellness of our family values, spirituality, and togetherness from her book, Fortify, 10 Effective Strategies to Fortify Our Families. Laurie, how important is spiritual grounding as the foundation of the 45 strategy? You know, I when I was growing up, my parents, my mom sent me, um, I can't, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if it was one summer or two summers or even how long the duration of the time um, this, this experience was given to me. But we had some Mennonites in our community and they had a Mennonite Bible school in the summer and um, that was one of my sweetest memories when I look back I remember the games that we played I remember um, just the building the white little church building that we were in I remember the smell of clove and the homemade glue that was made um, you know out of flour it was kind of a paste um, just a lot of sweet foundational memories that I have from that. I was raised, um, other than that Mennonite experience, I was raised Catholic, which also we weren't active in Catholic um, services, but I did go to catechism, and that gave me um, additional uh, awareness of spirituality. But when I was 16 years old and I went up to Alaska, our family moved to Alaska, I met a friend uh, there who introduced me to um, her faith, and that's the faith I belong to right now. And it has been an incredible gift in showing me how to be uh, a healthy mother, how to have order in the home, what the proper role is between a husband and a wife, and the responsibility we have to children. And um, I know there are a lot of families out there that still raise solid children who may not have spiritual influence, but for me, it's irreplaceable. And it it gave me an awareness that, uh, and I talk about this in my book, about, you know, finding my dad at 50 years old. And um, it's like I relived in some ways that experience of what it would have been like as an infant to be with my dad, you know, we'd talk on the phone, he's from Arizona, we'd talk on the phone and uh, we'd say goodbye. We talked for days and days and days on the phone for hours and hours and then I'd hang up the phone and I'd panic a little bit, you know, like, is my dad going to be there the next time? Kind of like what a toddler would go through if a parent, you know, left for a while or walked out of the room. And I realized as an adult that I was actually processing what a child goes through when they have a father and that attachment takes place when they're little. And um, I discuss why it's so important to have a father in heaven that you can turn to when your father on earth disappoints you. And I had a beautiful year, year and a half with my dad. And then uh, that he eventually went on with his life without me. And and um, having a father in heaven that I could turn to and and give my grief to and get insight and wisdom from on how to continue on with life with the continual disappointments that I've had uh, was critical. So for me, um, spiritual uh, foundation for my family has been irreplaceable. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Can you share with us some insights on how we can identify some signs and trigger points that are disruptive 
to a family harmony that is crying for help. Oh, I love some of the terminology that you use. Uh, definitely a lot of families are lacking harmony. Not that mine has it all the time. Certainly uh, we have our moments where we still have to uh, prevail when there's pain. Um, but I I talk about in the book what I call the SOS um, dynamic. And when you start to see the first S represents sarcasm, um, we need to identify if sarcasm is becoming a regular part of our family association. Uh, the subconscious does not know how to interpret humor. So when somebody's sarcastic and they go, oh, I'm only kidding, the subconscious interprets that as fact. And so um, I talk to my children about the difference between being light-minded and light-hearted. And light-hearted is a very good thing. Light-hearted is a feeling of positivity and joy and you can laugh together and it's never at the expense of another person. And being light-minded, um, which is linked to sarcasm, is usually at the expense of somebody else's well-being. It's usually a cutting type of um, statement. So we need to be really careful about that. Uh, the second letter, O, stands for oppression. Uh, there are some people that... Um, leave home for a period of time, maybe to work or shopping or whatever. And, you know, as they're walking into the home, they're feeling the sense of, I really don't want to be here, or they're avoiding being home. Um, it's stressful to them. That's another signal that they might need some support. And then um, the last uh, S stands for, oh, gosh, I just had a a blank. It'll come to me. But um, there are families that are definitely crying out for for help, and they don't necessarily know where to go. And I share the story in my book about this major sign that I had um, on the main road going through our town, our town that had the name of my business, and the subtitle said "Healing the Past." Um, empowering your future and there was a woman who lived in a nearby town who saw that and uh, her uh, relationship with her husband was compromised and uh, they were living in different states and she had this impression that she needed to call the number I had on my billboard and uh, she knew that they were dealing with pain from the past and so she came and they had um, some of those SOS elements that were a factor, and we managed to uh, help that family become whole again. And what was even more beautiful was these parents who were wise saw that as they were dealing with the trauma between themselves, that um, it was impacting their children and that their children were becoming scarred. And so um, they had almost every one of their children come to me as well. And they invested in the well-being of their children so that that pain could be intercepted. And uh, I thought it was one of the most noble things that those parents not only fixed their own relationship, but made sure that their children got the support that they needed. That's wonderful. The third S, I believe, is silence, when you get that silent treatment, so to speak. That's right. And in fact, yeah, it came to me a bit later. Thank you for clarifying that. And the silence... Uh, I discuss the four different ways that people can go silent in their relationships. They might go silent because they're trying to protect the other person. I was working with a client one time who was a teenage boy, and the mother knew that something was wrong. And uh, she didn't quite know how to get to the core of what was affecting her son. And so as she brought her son to me, and as we were working together, I said to her son, and her the um, the client has given me permission to use their names, so I will do that. Her name is Becky, and her son was Nathan. And um, as I was talking with Nathan, I said, would it be helpful to you if maybe your mom goes out into the foyer for a bit and you and I just talk for alone for a little while? because I could sense that he was holding back. And Becky happens to be my very personal friend, and she trusts me. 
And so um, I really want to acknowledge your courage because when a parent steps out, um, you know, that puts them in a very vulnerable situation because they don't know what the child might tell, you know. And she was so brave. Give me a little bit of time. So while she was out in the foyer, I, I visited with Nate, and Nate explained to me in a very gracious way the things that had been hurting him, the things that he was um, processing and trying to deal with. And and I said, okay, Becky, come back in the room. And I I had them sit facing each other. And I said, Becky, I don't want you to say anything. And Nathan, I don't want you to say anything. I'm going to be the voice for the two of you. And so I said, um, Becky, Nate would like you to know this. And then I said it in words that Nate couldn't formulate for himself. And Becky just lovingly, patiently sat and looked into her son's eyes, understanding that this, you know, was a a verbiage of his true feelings. And then I said, and Becky, Nate would like you to know this. And I went down this whole list, and you could see Becky's face just nodding, like, really, Nate? Oh, I'm so glad to know this. And then Nate's face was like, yes, Mom, this is how I've been feeling. And it was just really a powerful moment to be the mediator when, you know, the son was trying to protect the mother from pain, the truth of how he was feeling. And yet the mother was basically sending the message, I can handle it. I want to know the truth. I can handle it. And there are several other reasons why people go silent, but um, it's really important individuals understand that the power of a mediator can really make a difference. In my relationship with my mother, my mother, which is not uncommon, used um, silence to punish me. And I'm um, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to give you the silent treatment because you're not cooperating. You're not behaving the way I want you to behave. And it's a way of getting children or others to conform. Even husbands and wives do this. And it can be very, very damaging. So we certainly don't want to have that. So my book explains the reasons why people use silence and how to overcome that. Very interesting. Thank you for clarifying. How should we define true wealth of a family? You know, when my my son Jacob was run over when he was six years old, and I share in my book the lessons that we learned from that experience, and... um, My husband happened to be in a situation where uh, he had broken off from the previous partner that he had, and there was a discrepancy in what the two of them felt uh, the the firm had been worth, a portion of clients that my husband took, and it was a substantial figure. It was about $100,000 in um, a difference of opinion. And my husband felt that he had sufficiently paid his previous partner for the amount of clients that he took and the partner felt like he deserved more. So it had to go to arbitration. And the date of arbitration actually happened two days after this major accident that my son was in and he was now in the hospital with uh, four broken bones in his back. And I remember on that day, he was he was run over on a Monday and um On a Wednesday, this arbitration took place, and my husband needed to, of course, be there for this experience, and I was alone in the hospital. And I remember thinking, anything is recoverable if it has to do with money. Any loss is recoverable if it has to do with money. Our family is whole. My son is going to survive. Whatever happens, I'm totally okay. And I remember in that moment, if I wasn't in the hospital with my son at that time, I probably would have been pacing the floor. I probably would have been very stressed about the outcome. But frankly, I just prayed that God would support my husband, that he would help truth prevail, and that um, I just thanked him. I just had a lot of gratitude. I had a lot of peace while I was in the hospital that day. And I just didn't care about what the outcome was. And ultimately, we won. We won the the arbitration um, uh, result was in our favor. 
And I realized that wealth really has nothing to do with money on a larger scale. And, you know, the vision that I have for my family is that we have no empty chairs. And what that means is we're a card-playing family as well. We play board games, and and um, I love when our family gets together and, you know, I have this big, long table that seats 10, and sometimes we have to bring extra chairs in. And, and um, my philosophy is that if we can have no empty chairs in the eternities, then that's all the wealth I need. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody has to get along perfectly, but what that means is that we get along comfortably enough to where when we have our family reunions, which we have every year, that we all can communicate and laugh together and um, we always have a talent show that, you know, we can be very lighthearted about and and be silly so that, you know, life isn't always serious and that we know how to work through our challenges and um, I'm happy to report that that's what I consider to be my greatest greatest wealth right now, that we all are in the same space and we love each other. Fantastic. That's beautiful. Your book talked about a vision and value statement. Should all families have a vision and value statement? I think that when you have a target that you want to hit, when I work with clients at the very beginning, I say, okay, tell me what the target is that you need me to hit during this conversation. So by the end, I know that I've addressed what's most important to you. Um, when you have a vision and value statement, it basically determines what target the family needs to aspire to. And it's a reminder of um, the direction that you need to go in life. Like I said, mine right now is very informal, no empty chairs. Um, it can be more intense. In my book, I, I share the principles that our church teaches about how to create a strong family, and that is also one of our family visions and value statements that we utilize at my husband's work, and I have a space within his office as well where I work with my individual clients. We have on the wall the exact visions and value statement that the sperm represents, and that can be translated into a family as well. So those people who read my book can read what that vision and value statement is and cater it to their own um, family dynamic. So having a target is very, very important. Otherwise, you're just kind of being tossed in the sea regarding um, you know, what your destination is going to be. So true, so true. The two words that I really love in your book, and this is funny, I guess, in some ways, for me personally and on the air, how does the concept of breaking bread contribute to family harmony? Mm. I talk about how my daughter was in a volleyball um, uh, contest. She went to state, and she had uh, a coach that flew in all the way from Hawaii to be a support for the team and he had been a very successful volleyball player himself and um, uh, he holds camps to create these incredible volleyball players and and so he came and my daughter said mom you're you know I really think you would enjoy some time meeting Guy his name happens to be Guy Enriquez and um, so I didn't know him I'd never met him before but I went up to him after the game and I said, um, my daughter, I'm a life coach. And I said, I know you're a coach. And my daughter thought that we would really enjoy each other's company. I'd, I'd love for us to go out to eat. My husband and I would love to treat you to dinner. And I'm so thankful that this man just graciously accepted. While we sat at dinner, um, I learned something really important about him. I learned that he's a wealth of knowledge but he didn't dominate the conversation. He wasn't egotistical and he didn't act like he knew everything. He was just as interested in, in us as we were in him. And I'm constantly interviewing people, whether it's in a formal way or just in everyday conversation, trying to get um, wisdom from them. And breaking bread can be more formal around a table at a restaurant or around dinner at your own um, home table, but breaking bread is basically having good conversation one with another, taking time to slow down your life and learn about one another. And um, it, 
it's what I consider sacred time. So I think um, more families need to break bread together, whether it's with a stranger that you've invited over for dinner or invited, you know, to a restaurant and just gain information about who they are and what they've learned in life and then implement those pearls into your own family. Beautiful. Beautifully said. What is the correlation between wisdom and understanding? One of my favorite stories from the scriptures has to do with Solomon of old. Mm -hmm. Solomon, who was the son of David. And when I was a young girl, or a young mother, I should say, in my 20s, I knelt beside my bed and I asked God for wisdom. I asked him to bless me to be a wise woman. And the answer that I got in return was, quite profound and he said Lori you have always asked this of me which was an interesting answer considering I don't remember ever specifically saying that prayer but God has God knows me on an eternal level and he knows that my soul has hungered for wisdom and he said something that he added that has really stuck with me that said some wisdom can be granted and gifted but other wisdom must be earned. And so wisdom comes after understanding. And the reason why the story of Solomon is so important to me is, of course, your listeners might remember the story of the woman who had a child and the child died. And another um, woman had a baby. And this mother whose child died stole that baby. And the mother who birthed living child wanted her baby back and of course back in those days there were no DNA tests to confirm who was the parent so the problem was presented to Solomon and so Solomon understood the love of a true mother and said that the way to solve the problem was to cut the baby in half and each parent would then have half the child and the birth mother said no 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 no, the other mother can have my child. And Solomon then knew who the true mother was. And because of Solomon's understanding of the love of a mother for its child, he had the wisdom to know how to solve that problem. So seeking understanding is critical if we are to be um, able to develop wisdom. That's powerful, very, very powerful. Why is the quantity of family time as important as the quality of time spent in itself? So I can spend quality time with my children um, at a theme park or at the dinner table or um, on a big family vacation or uh, playing cards or putting together a puzzle, that kind of thing. But I've found that quantity time usually is at a a slower pace, usually individual time that is most effective. I often, most effective, um, I would stay up waiting for my children when they got home at the end of the day, Um, at the end of a date or whatever activity, they always knew I'd be waiting for them. And we often had quiet time that turned into quantity time where we didn't have interruptions and I could learn about what that experience was. It helped them to keep moral standards. It helped them to follow guidelines, you know, regarding curfew. Or I'd get up with them early in the morning and I would, you know, lay beside them in bed and spend time talking while they were, you know, in in kind of a very um, meek moment of their day before the rush would start. And my daughter, who has four children of her own, not long ago um, said to me, she said, Mom, when I come home, will you just spend some time with me laying in bed like you used to when I was young? And can we just talk? And I often find out the depth of the problems that my children are experiencing after quantity time has passed when they know that I'm focused on them. And um, I learned this 
from an older couple that were my mentors from a car conversation and an experience that they had had with their son who happened to be our good friend. And I share that in the book, why quantity time is really the catalyst for getting the most important information that you need so that the children can develop allegiance to us as parents instead of allegiance to the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. I think it builds trust and comfort. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. the lead to it. And in my case, obviously, me spending time with my moms in the kitchen because that's where we have that open-ended conversation. <laughs> it's Actually, very, very interesting. I love I love that story, if I might add, Johnny. One of my favorite yes. books is um, Unbroken, a movie. Uh, two movies, actually, have been made about um, the story of this man's life. He was a POW uh, in World War II. And um, while he was at sea, because his plane had crashed, he was uh, on a raft with uh, one of his uh, fellow uh, veterans, And while he was at sea, uh, one of the great concerns of somebody who is uh, unable to eat or to drink for a long period of time is that they could potentially go mentally mad, literally go crazy. And in this situation, um, he kept recounting the exact memories of what his mother would cook in the kitchen, and that kept him very lucid and kept him thinking of familiar, warm, comforting feelings, and it kept him from going insane. It's a Mm -hmm. powerful thing to have memories like that from the kitchen. The kitchen, that's where it's just sort of very laid back, and you can have wonderful conversations. And you know what I'm talking about when if we get called into the living room, and especially with our full name, we're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And in my case, having seven children, I usually go through about five of the children's names before I get to the right one. (laughs) When do mindfulness and gratitude fit into the strategy? Yeah. Once again, I realized um, that gratitude trumps everything. My daughter recently, who's um, a skilled athlete, just had her third knee surgery And I had a decision to make. It's such a grief-stricken feeling when, you know, your daughter goes through suffering and pain and loss, of course, from being able to play the sport she loved. And I, I asked God to do one thing. You know, we couldn't change the fact that this injury had happened. And I said, can you just make this experience sweet somehow? Can you prevent us from going into the depths of despair over this and just somehow make it sweet and protect us from that emotional pain. And God managed to do that. And my gratitude is centered in recognizing that God can spare us the worst of the traumas in life if we trust him. And if we use gratitude to um, get us through our challenges, it will trump the power of the pain that can stop us in our tracks. So developing, and gratitude has a very high frequency also. It's very good for when you're sick or when you're injured. It can help expedite the healing. Wonderful, wonderful. How do we know our fortified family journey is successful? I think Becky is a perfect example of a successful family. She once asked me, um, she once said, like, you must think our family's really messed up because we keep coming (laughs) to see you. And I said, you are the perfect example. You have the perfect example of a successful family because you have a heartbeat on when your children are struggling and you know when you need help outside of what you can offer them. And you're willing to pay the financial price, the emotional price, the time price, the the commitment that it takes to get to my office or, um, you know, to... um, create these circumstances where you can address these challenges. And so the perfect family, successful family um, definition is not somebody who's free from problems. They just do what's necessary to help solve them. Interesting. Very, very interesting. That's true. What is the best way to read and benefit from your incredible book? 
as a personal mentor, um, when I work with clients, because I'm so familiar with each one of the chapters, um, my favorite chapter happens to be Chapter 8, which addresses leading the heart versus following it. We keep hearing everywhere mm-hmm. about, you know, follow your heart and your dreams will come true. Well, a lot of people end up making very poor decisions from following their heart. A lot of families break because they've followed their heart. And I teach people the importance of addressing it first in your mind, in your head, all of the pros and cons of these decisions that you're making, then have it slip down through the heart and then analyze it there and then ultimately go to the gut. The gut is a great determining factor in um, in helping you make important decisions. So I love when people read um, Chapter 8 if they're having challenges in their marriage, but starting from the beginning is always the best approach if you want to get a thorough <laughs> understanding. Each one of the chapters has a specific title, so um, if they have an issue that, address, that that title would cover, just go straight to that chapter. Fantastic. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about your services, and keep up with your latest happenings? Oh, thank you for asking that. Uh, on Amazon, you can find my book, Fortified, 10 Effective Strategies to Fortify Our Families. I also have a website. You can contact me through that, and I can send you a book directly that's signed from me if you would like. Um, it is wholefamilymentoring.com, or you can email me at wholefamilymentoring at gmail.com. And um, one of my greatest joys comes from a young woman. She's in her early 30s, I think. And she literally sat across from me uh, about a week ago because her mother-in-law bought her my book and felt it could be helpful for her. And she had she was quite emotional, and she thanked me for writing the book. She thanked me for putting the things that I did in there for her because in for the readers because it was so helpful and touching for her. And it's an easy read. It's comforting, it gives solace, but it also teaches some very important principles through true stories so that they can, if nothing else, will remember the stories and the lessons that came from them. Wonderful. What is next for you? Uh, I'm wanting to start a podcast, and I'm determ- I'm trying to decide on a, an exact name at this point, but I really feel like a maternal voice is needed out there, a voice of reason and wisdom, of gentleness, and yet um, a powerful voice to help people feel like um, someone's got you. I, uh, As I was dealing with Lily recently and praying over this child, as I pray over all of my children every day, but specifically over her and this knee injury, I heard this message from the Lord that was so clear that said, I've got her. And it was very comforting to me to know that the Lord was mindful of my child. And when I mentor, I want my clients to know I've got them. Mm-hmm. I'm holding their space. And I want a podcast that emulates that, that people feel like I've got you. That's wonderful, really wonderful. As we end this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Yeah, I'll close with this simple statement. I went to um, a conference some years ago and heard this powerful message that I've put in my own words. And the speaker said, for some of you in this life, your greatest mission, perhaps your only mission, will be to absorb all the hate, anger, and pain, and from you go forth love. And so I realized that was my mission and so we make a life out of learning how to deeply love. Wow, that's amazing. Laurie, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Wednesday morning, February the 8th at 10 a.m. Central Time. My guest will be Tamara Hunter. Tamara is a cancer survivor on a mission to change the world. As the president and co-founder of a nonprofit online cancer support community, Chemo Buddies for Life. She believes in healing through connections. Her passion can be felt through her work as the first global next impactor, CEO of Impactor Press, creator, producer, and host of multiple TV shows, and as a three-time best-selling author. Tamara's 
latest news show, Let's Talk Fab with Tamara, airs on E360 TV network, Fresh Take Channel, on Sundays at noon Pacific. Tamara and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her inspiring and empowering view on Family is Love. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a very blessed week. Laurie, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very delightful and blessed 2023. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate it very much. And just to finish with one thing, anybody who contacts me, I would be happy to give a 30-minute free consultation or free session with me. I'd love to do that for your listeners. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that offer. Thank you, and have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.